Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Again, welcome to North Main. Welcome to those of you watching online today. Um, in the Advent calendar, technically today is the day we focus on peace. We've been focusing on peace all year long. So if I were to go around and take a, uh, a poll and ask you, what is peace? I hope you'd have at least a good concept of what it means to have peace in life. Peace is not the absence of difficulty. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think some people get disillusioned by the peace that God's, God desires to give and thinking that it should be the elimination of all difficulty, all problems, difficult circumstances, temptations. But peace is not the absence of those things. Peace the peace of God, which passes understanding, comes in spite of those things. It's something we have that helps us to weather the storms and the difficulties of life. This illustration that I want to start with this morning goes like this. The most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what he or she wanted. The most unhappy person is the one who got what he or she wanted and then found out that it wasn't as wonderful as expected. Has it been that way for you in the past? To where you're like, oh, I just can't wait until X, Y, or Z happens in life. Or I can't wait until I get that promotion or until, you know, I get that car or that job or that house. I can't wait until fill in the blank. And then when fill in the blank happens, sure, you have this surge of excitement. But over time, have you had that experience where the emotional aspect of that wanes a little bit and you're like, oh, nothing really changed. I mean, I got this thing or I got that promotion, but I still feel the way I did before. The secret of happy life is not to get what you want, but to live with what you've got. Most of us spend our lives concentrating on what we don't have instead of thanking God for what we do have. Then we wake up, our life is over, and we've missed the beauty of the present all too often. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you content where you are? Now, what I mean by that is it's okay to have ambitions and set goals and to look forward into the future. But if you are not content in the present with your holy father who loves you, you're not going to be content in your achievements in the future. Mark my words. You're going to be looking over next over every next horizon or the grass that's greener on the other side of the fence only to realize it's not going to make a world of difference to you unless you have peace, the peace of God in you in the moment. And you learn the fine art, or dare I say, spiritual discipline of contentment in the present. See, living in peace means, uh, living in peace is the means by which contentment is achieved. But a person cannot have true, long-lasting peace without Christ because he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Holy God, the Everlasting Father. We're going to look at that next week. But for now, we're going to look at Isaiah as we've been going through chapter 9. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9, and we're only going to be looking at verse 7 today. Again, this is really hard on me. I'm used to like reading full chapters but we're looking at one verse today from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. As we've looked at Isaiah 9, we've seen the prophecies of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Again, how early did Isaiah write this prophecy about the coming Messiah before Jesus was actually born? How many years? About 700 years. That's a long time. That's 
pushing up to a millennium, right? 700 years. How long are you willing to wait for something that you really look forward to? Would you be willing to wait a lifetime? Would you be willing to wait multiple lifetimes? Again, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 says that it was counted as, uh, as righteousness to them who, ha who had faith that God would accomplish what he said he would. And you, you have this great chapter, what we call the hall of faith, starting with Abraham, going all through the different biblical characters in the Old Testament, looking forward to a day that in Hebrew, in the writer of Hebrews day and age, Jesus had come, had died, had been resurrected and risen to the heavenly father, the Holy Spirit had come. And the author of Hebrews says, everybody else in the Old Testament, which wasn't considered the Old Testament in that day and age, but everybody else in the word of God had looked forward to this day with great anticipation and yet they never got to see its fulfillment. And yes, some of them were antsy about it. They wanted to see it sooner, but they were at peace with God and they had faith and held out faith regardless of them being able to see it to fruition. They had a belief that they were part of the process of it coming to reality. We live in this day and age where, again, our advertisements and everything tell us you deserve to get everything you want when you want it. No interest, no money down, right? I, even our fast food restaurants tell us this, right? You get, have it your way right away. I, it used to be a slogan, I don't know if it still is or not, but you know some of the, it, it's, it's, it's the same mantra. All of our advertising is about getting us to buy what we want when we want it on credit. Even, well, no, let me say that, even if you have bad credit, you can get whatever you want. Do we see this playing out that way in scripture? Do you know, the scripture is so counter cultural. You don't get what you want when you want, and you don't always get it the way that you desire for it to come, even when it does come in your timing. Have you ever prayed for something and you prayed specifically, the prayer was answered, but it didn't ha happen specifically the way you'd prayed. Or maybe the answer wasn't what you desired for it to be. In those situations, it's hard to have peace, isn't it? It's hard to have contentment. Because we like to hurl accusations toward God and, and, and claim that he, if he truly loved me, then he would do this for me. If he truly loved me, he wouldn't allow me to go through this deep, dark valley. If he truly loved me, I wouldn't be tempted with this thing over and over. He would take the temptation of the desire out of me so I could truly have peace. See, this is why the pews in most churches are not full today because they get this misunderstanding of what God is truly like or they have this disbelief of God because if there truly was a God, he would do everything we expect and desire of him to do. But God is not a cosmic vending machine. You can go put a quarter in the slot and push a, well, all right, inflation, $2 in the slot and push a button and get what you want. We see him as the kind of guy, we go to that machine, we push a button and it gets lodged in the spring. And we start shaking and shaking and shaking and it falls back into the slot instead of down to where we can get it. That's how we view God a lot of times. He's putting me through the ringer. I must be pun getting punished for something. What I've learned in life going through difficult circumstances on my own as Sarah Lee and I have gone through different circumstances together as a married couple is that God doesn't like to pull us out of difficulty because he desires to walk with us through it oftentimes. The problem is when we are in the midst of difficulty, our focus is on the difficulty rather than on him who walks with us through the difficulty, which is where our peace lies. See, this is something the psalmist, David, knew. Even though I walk through the deep, dark valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? 
I will fear no evil. And he, said, he, he actually uh, uh, qualifies that. Why? Because you are with me. The focus of Psalm 23 is the Lord as David's shepherd, Yahweh, God of gods. The one who we know today became human and dwelt among us. I don't know what this season is like for you. I, I, the longer I'm in ministry, the older I get, the more I realize that people don't always look fondly toward the Christmas season. Because for them, it's oftentimes a season of loss or hurt or pain or memories of a jaded past around this time of the year that wasn't all, you know, icicles and, and presents under the tree and all of that. But more often than not, it was fraught with difficulty, anger, maybe impoverished. I don't know. The circumstances are, are great. And I don't know what your situation is, but I do know there's a God who loves you. And that's not something just fluff I'm throwing out there for you. But I do know there's a God who loves you and a God who desires for you to know his peace. Isaiah 9, 7. His government and its peace. Talking about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. His government and its peace will never end. Where do you see peace in the world today? Difficult, isn't it? I don't know what news apps you read, what newspapers you may still read, what television stations or networks you may watch do you often see any hope in the world? Occasionally you might get just a little blip on the radar, but what is the majority of news you see on a day-to-day -day basis? It's all life-sucking news. We live in a world that is much like that. But we do know there's a Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about that would come into the world. Interestingly enough, that world did not recognize him when he came. Read John chapter 1, starting around verse 13 or 14. He came into the world. He came to his own, but his own received him not. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Fairness and justice. What is that? What is fairness? Have you ever said, it's just not fair? I know I have. Right? It's not fair, God. Or maybe, maybe you're not willing to throw that at God, but you just want to yell, it's not fair. Where is true justice? If your government and its peace will never end and you ushered it in through Jesus Christ, then where's the fairness and justice from the throne of this ancestor David? Where is it? If it's for eternity, then why, why don't I have it? Why am I not experiencing it right now? And then, again, another qualification of the scripture. See, Isaiah says all of this stuff. And then he says the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. We'll get into that and break that down in just a moment. Key point is this. When peace is gone, the prince of peace is just over the horizon. As a matter of fact, if I could change that this morning, when peace is gone... The Prince of Peace is with you in the midst of it all. That is, if you allow him to be. See, God, I believe, is such a gentleman, he won't be where he's not welcomed. The Holy Spirit will not reside where he is not welcomed. And some of us have cursed God so, maybe not out loud, but in our own hearts, that God has given us what we've desired, and that is a life without him. It's not what he desires. But you can only reject God so many times before that still small voice gets fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter until you 
don't hear it. It doesn't mean that God's not calling you or doesn't desire for you to be with him. But he's willing to give you what you desire because he loves you and he doesn't want to force you into what he desires for you. The irony of all of this is that he was willing to do everything for you. Everything. What do I mean by that? This is a man who is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows, Isaiah says later on in his book of prophecies. Someone in Isaiah 53 who was willing to be beaten so that by his stripes we could be healed. See, this is a man who desires for us to know him intimately and stepped out of eternity and into time, took on human flesh to show us the extent of his love for us. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, in your dating days, or those of you who still may be in dating days, have you ever loved somebody or desired somebody so much, but they didn't return that? They didn't feel that way about you? Have you ever gone through that before? It's painful, isn't it? I mean, it's gut-wrenching. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to woo them to you, they just stiff-arm you and say, no, I don't want you. It's hard. Now imagine that on the scale of eternity and a God who says, I love you. I created you. I know you intimately, and I desire for you to know me intimately. The only barrier between you and I is sin, and that barrier cannot be broken by anybody else but you. Yes, I died for sin. I broke the curse, but you have to willingly step into the offering I give you. I'm offering you my love. I'm offering you salvation. Do you want it? I want you to want it. See, this God of justice and fairness took all injustice and unfairness on himself on the cross. This is why when he's on the cross, you know one of the, one of the most confusing words he, or phrases he states while he's hanging on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's thought by most biblical scholars, it's in that moment that God turned his back. God the Father turned his back on his son. And he experienced the sheer and utter consequence of hell. The utter aloneness of what sin and death bring. Why? Would any of us do that? Would any of you do that for your worst enemy? In order for us to under, understand Isaiah chapter 9, this one verse, verse 7, you have to understand the end result of this coming Messiah, this Emmanuel, God with us. What was his purpose for being with us? It was to usher in a government of peace, to usher in a system of true fairness and justice. And in order for that to happen, he had to fix it himself. To take the utter sheer weight of destruction and punishment that sin ushered into this world upon himself to break that curse. Let me pull a stool over here. Are you guys with me? Promise? Okay. I don't know how clear, how much clearer the gospel message can be and people to turn a deaf ear to it. I'm not saying you're doing that. Please don't see fingers of accusation being pointed that way. But I mean, if you're here and you don't know Christ or you're here and you're struggling with your, and I don't want to get into this positive you know, mentality like, oh, it's about thinking positively of yourself. No, it's about giving yourself in complete surrender to Christ. It's none of this crappy psychobabble that's out there that says you can have healing if you just think positive thoughts. No, you can have healing if you truly surrender to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find healing physically. You can find healing mentally, emotionally. A couple of you believe that. 
I, I, I get up here and I preach and I preach and I preach the good news all the time. Yes, I preach on sin and how bad it is and how it separates people from God. But when I preach this stuff, a part of my soul aches. Because I know sometimes it falls on deaf ears. Because I know sometimes people who are living in the midst of sin and death, who hear this message, will turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to it. And it breaks my heart. I truly, because I, you may question this and you question it all you want to, but I truly love you guys and ladies. I do. Love you too, buddy. I really do. And I don't stand up here to preach in order to get a paycheck. That's not the calling of my life. I preach because I believe in the message. I believe it is truth. I believe it is utter and complete, unadulterated truth through everything else, that everything else in this life can be screened through and all the crap left aside and all that remains is truth. I guess the question is, have you screened your life through this? Have you screened your circumstances, your situations through the, through the, the sifter of the scripture? Because what's purified as it goes through that is left as truth and justice and fairness and peace and goodness. And that's where you build your foundation. It says his kingdom of peace is forever. What, how long is forever? Okay, if I were to come around to you, and again, as I asked you to define peace earlier, how would you define forever? That's a long time, isn't it? And so when I get into the conversations, I may have brought this up in the past couple of sermons. When I get into conversations working at Penn Christian Academy, sometimes I get opportunities to go in now and speak with the kids because I'm not teaching. I, I went in and I spoke with a fourth grade, no, fifth grade class, and they were asking some really tough questions. They'd been studying the book of Job, which caused them to go into all of these different places. And the teacher asked me if I'd come and speak to her class. And I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot. And a lot of the questions centered around heaven. When you think of heaven, and those of you who are believers in Christ, who will inherit that, that's a forever place. A lot of times kids, and maybe adults too, but kids will say, what are we going to do forever? And they start to see it as a bit of a drag. I remember when my kids were younger, they was like, I don't want to sit around on a cloud and play a harp. Or, the scripture states, we'll be standing around the throne of God singing praises for eternity. I don't even like to sing. That's like hell for me. I don't think I would enjoy that, right? I mean, think of that. And, and, and so we tend to have these thoughts of forever, especially with regard to eternity in God's eternal kingdom called heaven, as a place of dullness. But this is a place, according to Isaiah, where there's fairness and justice. If there's fairness and justice, it kind of lends itself to the idea that there's more than just singing or playing a harp on a cloud, doesn't it? Hello? Is this thing? Check one, two. There it is. All right. Can you hear me? Heaven is a place where fairness and justice is, is it's a dominant rule. There is no injustice there and everything is fair. Does that mean everybody is exactly the same? No. Brandon is still going to be Brandon, but he's going to be the perfected version of Brandon. <laughs> that hurts, Ruth. <laughs> he's a dummy. No, I'm just kidding. You didn't say that, but you kind of did. Anywho. <laughs> All right, you're going to be the perfected version of you. If you are a believer in Christ and you've surrendered your life to Christ, when you get to heaven, you will still be you, 
but you will be the perfected you that God always intended for you to be. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Guess what? You'll have no physical ailments. There will be nothing that defines you but God the Father himself. And God the Father himself, who knit you together in your, one, your mother's womb, you were fearfully and wonderfully made, will be fearfully and wonderfully made in that place for eternity. Is there something that you would love to learn this side of heaven that you just don't have the time to learn? You will have eternity to learn any number of new things. You will be productive. There will be work in heaven. Yes. Hear me out on this. Was there work in the garden before the fall? There will be work there, but your work will be fulfilling and not in vain. You will look forward to the work you do in that space, in that place, because there's nothing you do that will be in vain. I mean, you think about all of that. This government, and, and this government is defined by peace. What must it be like to, 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 in that space, read the headlines of what's happening on the other side of heaven? <laughs> I don't know, my mind goes there. And it's all good news. Guess what they've invented over here? How cool is that? And guess what's happening over here? You won't see any obituary in the newspapers of heaven. You won't see any government or nation in that place. It says nations of people will still be there. But they will be worshiping under the headship of God through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God and his glory will rule that space. Can you imagine a space and a place and an eternity like that? What about money? We aren't told anything about money. We are told the streets are made of gold and there are jewels the size of mammoths or something. Really big. I think a mammoth is big, right? Maybe a blue whale. That's something we have today. It's the biggest mammal on earth. But they have these jewels and, and these crystals and, and this beautiful, precious gems and stones and metals everywhere. Do you think money's an issue in a space in a place like that? So it's socialism that rules heaven. Whoa! No, that's not what I'm saying. What about communism? What about, uh, uh, I know, it's got to be the free market. And you guys are quiet. No! It is God's rule. Guess what God's rule is known as? A theocracy. But there are theocracies on the face of the earth now, but they are not ruled by God. They are ruled by evil powers and rulers of this dark world that seek destruction rather than peace. Sorry, that's a tangent. His kingdom of peace will be forever. Now, you may differ with me on that. You may theologically. I'm telling you, a lot of that interpretation of heaven for me is based on scripture, but it also goes to these places in my mind that I think, okay, what will we do for eternity? Well, I know it's a place where there's no death, sin, sorrow, sadness, all of that bad stuff, but I also know it's not a place of harp playing and singing all the time. It's a place where we will be fulfilled and enjoy life forever with God face to face, walking with him in the cool of the day in the garden the way Adam and Eve did, tending what God has created in that new heaven and that new earth. His kingdom of peace is ruled by fairness and justice. Again, what is fairness and justice? Where have you truly ever seen complete and utter fairness and justice? Have you ever, again, have you ever felt like things weren't fair toward you? Raise your hand. Most of you. Even go all the way back to childhood, all right? And some bully on the playground takes your toy, right? It's not fair. Dave, you were the bully, weren't you? Oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. You're so sweet and calm and tender-natured. Actually, you really are. You're a sweetheart. I love you. Anywho. I mean, uh, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth was the bully. 
because you laughed at me. <laughs> Fairness and justice forever. Psalm 45, verses 6, six through 7. The psalmist writes, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Did you catch that last phrase? That sounds weird. Huh. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of justice or the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. This passage from Psalm 45, author Alan P. Ross explains, undoubtedly refers to the promise of an eternal throne for the house of David, which will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he returns to reign forever. Hebrews 1 verses 8 through 9 also quotes this passage in reference to the exaltation and dominion of Christ. This kingdom that was promised in First and Second Samuel to David, remember the promise God gave to David? that you will always have someone rule on the throne from your line. Now think of that. What happens to Israel over time? It grows to great power, authority, and might under David. It's at its height under Solomon, but it's at Solomon that it starts to take a downturn. Right? After Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam who is to assume the throne, there's a bit of a bickering back and forth between the northern tribes and the southern tribes that comprise this kingdom. And so the northern tribes didn't like how Solomon ruled because he enslaved many of their own people for kingdom purposes. Does that sound like a kingdom of fairness and justice? And so Rehoboam basically says, I'm going to be worse than my father was on you guys. And Jeroboam is selected as the leader of the northern kingdom. The civil war happens. They break ways. You have Judah. You have the northern kingdom of Israel. And then after several centuries, guess what happens? You've heard me state it over and over. The nation of Israel is ransacked by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians. Guess what? They're no longer a kingdom anymore on earth. What about the promise of God that there will always be somebody on the throne of David? He promised, God promised David that. And now there's no more kingdom? God must have been wrong. Or we must have been wrong about God. You ever experienced that? Again, it doesn't play out the way you expect. And you're wondering, God you said, you promised, and now look at things. It's impossible. You ever said that? But have you ever heard God in Scripture or anybody else in Scripture or Christ say, oh yeah, it's impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. You see, God sees a bigger picture than we ever have dared to attempt to see. And so when things seem impossible, which is our next week's sermon, it's never impossible with God. Because at just the right time in human history, when all hope seemed lost and Israel would never, ever, ever be a kingdom again, Jesus comes onto the scene, but not in a way that most royal figures ever come onto a scene. We talked about this this morning in my, in my small group, in my class this morning. Who were the first to be announced that the birth of the Messiah had happened? The shepherds. The shepherds? And in order to understand why that's significant, you have to understand the cultural aspects and historical aspects of shepherding in that culture at that time period. Shepherds were despised by the general populace, by the public. They were the lowest on the rung, if you will. 
vocationally. They were not allowed into holy places because of their line of work. They were constantly unclean ceremonially because they dealt in sheep poop a lot. And God chooses a small girl, obscure young lady, probably 13 or 14 years old. Before you get weirded out, that's about the time most women were betrothed and married in those days. But this young woman, she wasn't well known except by her family. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you found favor with God. God you are favored with God. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You're going to give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. This king in the line of David through his stepfather Joseph would ascend the throne. But the throne that Jesus ascended in the line of David wasn't like other kings of this world. And the kingdom that Jesus ushered in was unlike any other kingdom the world has ever known. Because it was a kingdom of peace. Jesus didn't come with a sword and an army. He came with open arms willing to be nailed to a cross. That throne for our King of kings and Lord of lords, that Prince of Peace, was a cross. He ascended the hill and was nailed there. And in that one selfless, sacrificial act, his kingdom not only was established forever, but that one act of redemption would offer salvation to anyone who would believe. The last point is the passionate commitment of Yahweh will make this happen. The passionate commitment of God. And why do I say Yahweh? I want you to understand there are various different words for God in Scripture. But the official name that God gave himself at the burning bush of Moses was I am that I am. Some people translate it, I will be what I will be. It's not really an I. What's your name? I am that I am. <laughs> but how do you define God? He is the ever-eternal, ever-present being who created everything that is in existence. He stands apart from his creation, but he also is intimate with it. He is that he is. And the word for God... From the burning bush is Yahweh. Actually, take the vowels out. That's the actual word in Hebrew. Y-H-W-H. I want you to understand that when we're talking of God, we're talking about almighty God. Okay? What is a passionate commitment? This word is actually translated in some versions as zeal. Sometimes it's translated as jealousy. Oh, wait a minute. Jealousy's a bad thing. How can God be jealous? Well, let's think of that. When you or I get jealous, why do we get jealous? Somebody tell me. Oh, this is like a big small group. <laughs> why do we get jealous? What makes us jealous? And why, what, what instigates the jealousy in us? Huh? Pride does sometimes. What was the other one? We want something we're not entitled to? It's desire. Now think of this. Are we perfect? No. We are only perfected when we believe in Christ, and it's through Christ that we become perfect as God is perfect, okay? Or we become holy as God is holy. But in and of ourselves, are we perfect? Now, with that in mind, when we become jealous... Is our jealousy based in righteousness? No. no, it's usually based in selfishness. But God, who is perfect in every way, 
who cannot sin because to sin would mean that he is not God. When he is jealous or zealous, is he perfectly jealous and zealous in a righteous way? Yes, a couple of you believe that. So the jealousy of God is rightly placed in one who was willing to give completely of himself to us. He created us. To him belongs all allegiance in the world. And yet because of disobedience and sin, we get upset when we don't get what we think we should get. But God, he deserves every good thing. And so it is right for him to get jealous and zealous when the creation he created prostitutes themselves out to other beliefs. God's passionate commitment. You know this word for zeal is also interchangeable with fire? I love this. How many times in Scripture is God or the Holy Spirit equated with fire? What does fire do? It purifies, very good, right? We can get charcoal after, after, charcoal is pure, isn't it? After it's gone through the fire, right? It purifies. What else does it do? It provides heat. If you get too close though, it burns. It can consume, can it? What about the burning bush? The bush burned, but it wasn't consumed by the flames, which is why Moses is like, huh, that's interesting. Right? Scratching his big, long beard. What is that? He walks over, and then a voice emanates from it. Right? (laughs) Again, I said this last week. I think the the Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and or was it the, no, it was the Three Amigos where the bush is talking. And Anywho, sorry, side note. But do you understand what I'm getting at here? Why isn't the bush being consumed? Because the bush has been purified, made holy. You and I, when we surrender our lives to God, the whole point is we become new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. It is the passionate commitment of God that through Christ Jesus we become new creations. That the old is completely burnt off. And all that's left is pure and good. Because that, through Jesus Christ in our lives, is what makes us pure and good. I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God is pure, and this is before we get to that. God is pure and holy and completely righteous in every way. Like fire, he purifies and consumes. The closer a person gets to him, the more that is burnt off that is impure. It's a painful process to get closer and closer to God is painful, but it's good. You can ask anybody who's training for a marathon or who works out all the time, in order for a workout or a run or anything like that to be beneficial, what must it it do to you? Break you down. (laughs) I remember training, never do it again, but I remember training for races and marathons and half marathons back in the day when I was in the peak condition. And I remember that you were told to push to push beyond what you think you can do. When it starts getting hard and it feels like you're going to collapse, push a little bit more. When you're lifting weights, there are minuscule tears that happens in the muscle where new muscle expands, grows, and gets tougher and stronger. Do you know that? Why would we think it would be any less with God? The closer in a relationship we get with him, the more he pulls off these layers that shouldn't be there anymore. Because he wants to get down to the very core of who you and I are in order to expose us to the goodness of his holiness so that we can be made new. Amen. 
The Apostle Paul in the New Testament letter to the Corinthian church knew something of this. Listen to what he says. He wrote this about the passionate zeal and commitment of the Lord. Anyone who builds on a foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. What are you building on and what are you building with? What kind of foundation do you have? Is it a foundation of truth through Jesus Christ? Is he your rock, your firm foundation? And what are you building on that foundation with? The fire will show if a person's work has value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. How many of us are building with cheap materials rather than the solid materials by the Heavenly Father who gives it to us that some of us will barely make it into heaven with our tails a-smoking? I mean, that's really what we have here, right? Because there were people in the Corinthian church that were getting there or think they were getting there on their own might, by their own resources and their own talents, gifts, and abilities. And they were lording it over others. But that's not how it is in God's kingdom. You say, well, if I can get in by the skin of my teeth, I'm okay with that. No! Because what if the skin of your teeth isn't enough? It's a, it's a passionate commitment to the Lord in full surrender. And it is painful at times because it's a stripping away of the old and leaving behind those things that we shouldn't have in our lives and identifying with God who has given us our identities in him. We often sing this song called In Christ Alone on Sunday mornings here in worship. This song expresses, I think, the, the gist of the passionate commitment of God to extend his kingdom of peace toward us through Christ. Listen to these lyrics. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he arose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. As our worship team comes forward to close this out today, I'm asking you this with the most and utter honest sincerity that I can ask it. Do you know the peace of God which passes understanding? Have you learned to be content no matter what your circumstances are? And quite honestly, you will never be content until you're fully surrendered to Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Until you're willing to give up every desire within you for him, you will not truly know your true purpose this side of heaven. We have these promises in God that remind us that he is with us, that he is for us, 
and that he will always come through. Because of this, we not only have a reason for hope, but we have peace that passes all comprehension. If we have the Prince of Peace as Lord and Savior, then not only do we have reason to fear nothing, to fear anything, but we also have every reason for peace to dwell in our hearts in the here and now. No matter your circumstances, God desires for you to dwell with him in his kingdom of peace. If you're not at peace, chances are you're holding something back. And the only one who can hold anything back is you because he's given everything for you. Our altars are always open. I know some of you are struggling with peace this season, but you don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to struggle alone in fear. The body of Christ is a part of that community of faith, a fellowship that desires to surround you with love and prayer or just to be present with you in some of the darker moments of life. But you don't have to wrestle with this alone. Would you pray with me? Father, when peace is gone, remind us that you're just over the horizon. And remind us, Father, that your love and mercies are new every morning. And though we may not escape the difficulties of life, because you didn't, through Christ Jesus, we're assured that we can walk through the difficulties with you by our side. Help us each one in this place to be fully surrendered to you. Everything, God. Take everything. And though it may be a, a scary place for us to be in order to do that, God, help us to overcome that fear and realize that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God, we can step out of fear and into that freedom as we step into grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, in full surrender and salvation. Burn off everything within us and outside of us that is not holy and good. Purify us, O Lord, and give us a peace that passes understanding, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.